church. You may be seated. Well, have you been blessed this far, church? Thank you, worship team. Uh, I love worshiping the Lord. I love worshiping the Lord with you. Y'all sing great today. Did you know that? I sit up here so I can hear you. You've done a wonderful job this morning. Are you glad to be here, church? I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be here with you this morning. My name's Luke, one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. And this morning, we start our brand new sermon series called Generosity. Generosity. A lot comes to mind when we think about the word generosity. I want some feedback. Um, you can raise your hand. Have you ever been on the receiving end of generosity? Raise your hand. Been on the receiving end of generosity. Do you remember what it felt like? Do you remember that moment? Uh, maybe when you needed it the most, and I'm not just talking about money, uh, when, when, when somebody loved you enough to demonstrate generosity to you. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? I'll share a story with you. Several years ago, uh, my family, we moved away to a foreign land called Texas. And, uh, you know, first time really moving away from home. And uh, God sent our family, uh, a family, but specifically a man named Richard, when we needed it the most. I was away only for a, a few weeks, and Richard had gained some information about me. He knew that I was just redneck at heart, loved uh, to ride wheelers, shoot stuff, be outside, right? Uh, so Richard uh, calls us one day and he says, Luke, I want you to bring your family out to my place. He gives me the address and we drive and we keep driving and we keep driving. And uh, I pull up to a, uh, a big ranch gate, the Diamond T Ranch, and he texts me uh, the code to get in and boop, 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 go in. And, and I keep, I, I drive and then I keep driving and, and then I keep driving and I keep driving and I get to the top of this hill where Richard lived, beautiful place. We, uh, we get out, uh, my wife and the girls, they go start talking to his wife and looking at the horses and the dogs and all that stuff, and I'll never forget this church, hang with me. Richard comes up to me, at this point we're, we're really strangers, he, uh, he puts his arm around me, I'll never forget, and he says, Luke, I know what you love, and I know you moved away from it, so everything that I have is yours. Everything that I own is yours. As far as you can see, I own. My four-wheelers are your four-wheelers. My guns are your guns. My bullets are your bullets. If you know anything about bullets right now, that's big. And he, he was like, uh, if it's on my property and you can hunt it, you can hunt it. He said, everything I've got is yours. Wow. I'll never forget. I'll never forget experiencing that level of generosity. It changes you. I wasn't just in awe that this man was willing to give us everything. I was in awe for the first time an individual really taught me generosity. And you might be out there thinking, well, well Luke, that's, that's easy uh, for uh, apparently this guy, Richard, to be generous. It sounds like he had a lot. Well, he did. But I want you to understand something about Richard. His generosity was not linked 
to the size of his bank account. His generosity was linked to a heart changed by the gospel. It changed him. So when the gospel changed him, he became a generous person. And I experienced that. So that's what I want you to do right now. So you know we're going to talk for the next several weeks about generosity. But right now, in this moment, I just want you to think about how someone at some point has been generous to you and how that made you feel and how that may have changed your life. Generosity is a big deal. But generosity in all forms is directly linked to our hearts. And if our hearts have been changed by the gospel. So this morning, the the title of today's message is that generosity changes our hearts. Generosity, the generous gospel, changes our hearts. And the Bible speaks abundantly and plainly about this topic called generosity. So much so that, that I believe I can make the statement that God wants you to be a generous person. That God wants you to step into generous living. I want you to hear that. Generous living. You're going to hear that a lot. Because when we, when we think about generosity, our minds go to dollar bills. But, but God is like, I want you to be a generous person in everything. What does that mean? I want you to be generous with your finances. Of course, that's a given. I want you to be generous with your spiritual gifts. Absolutely. If, if I've given you these to be used for my good, use them generously. I want you to be generous with your time. I want you to be generous with your efforts. I want you to be a generous person. That's what God asks of us. He wants us to step into generous living, not just with your finances. So please hear me out, but with your life. We're going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Before we read it, before it's on the screen, I want you to turn there and we're going to set up what's happening in 2 Corinthians, specifically chapter 8 and 9. Here's what's happening within the Corinthian church. At some point, uh, months, years previous to when this was written, uh, the Corinthian church said, hey, we're going to raise, we're going to raise some money. We're going to collect an offering for you, Paul, to go and disperse to the churches of Macedonia. We want to be a blessing to believers. Like We're going to, we're going to raise money, and you're going to come get it, and you're going to disperse it uh, the way you see fit. Like Whoever needs it, we want you to give this money to. And it seems like at the very beginning when they made this commitment, they were really excited about giving. They, they were really excited about being generous people. But something happened. Paul catches wind uh, that maybe uh, their excitement at the beginning is now starting to wane when they understand that, that Paul's coming. Like he's about to show up and we got to have this money ready. And, and so Paul uh, hears this, he, he sees what's happening, and, and he starts to encourage the Corinthian church a little bit. He says, hey, uh, Corinthians, you excel in a lot of ways. Uh, you have got a tremendous faith. That's what he says. Like, you excel in faith. Like, you're, your church, you are blessed with gifted speakers. Like, man, awesome. Good, good for you. And you have a lot of enthusiasm for the Lord and are even a really loving church. 
but I want you to excel in giving. That's what he tells them. So really, he's like, hey, church, you got a lot going for you, but it seems like you're, you're not really wanting to give now that it's time to give. And then this is where we pick up in chapter 8, 8 and 9. Listen to the words of Paul. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this. Speaking about giving. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Let's stop there for a second. What is happening? I mean, Paul is, is literally going, hey, Corinthians, you're great, but you're falling short with these, uh, what these other churches are doing. Well, thanks, Paul, man. Thanks for comparing. Nobody likes to be compared. It hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Like somebody's outdoing me. Ah, that's what he's saying to the Corinthian church. He's like, hey, got a lot going for you, but in this area, we're, we're falling a little shy. And then he goes on with verse 9. He says, you know, like you, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What a powerful passage of Scripture. So a couple of things that I want us to notice about 8 and 9, which is really going to give us the framework for the whole series and our heart behind why we're going to spend three weeks talking about generosity, is what I want you to see in verse 8. Is Paul gives the reasoning behind it. He says, listen, church, like I'm not commanding that you give. What do you mean? It sounds like he's really imploring them to give to me. He says, I'm just, I'm testing you to see where you're at, to see if your heart's been changed. Uh, Paul could have rolled in to the Corinthian church with apostolic authority, and he could have said, you need to give X amount. And by his authority, they would have been like, okay, we're, we're going to give. But he does not do that. He said, I'm not commanding you to give. I'm testing you. How many, um, how many 90s kids we have in the room right now? Raise your hand, own it. We're getting older. We're a little sore in the mornings. 90 kids. You know what I'm talking about? How about the show Boy Meets World? You remember that one? Corey and Fina. Fina. You know what I mean? Like, just a great show. But uh, uh, Corey and Topanga, well, boy, that was a dramatic relationship, wasn't it? How familiar you are, are with the show? Well, uh, season five, episode 14. I love it. I've got them all, okay? Got them all. Wholesome show. I got off track. Season five, episode 14, Corey is at the ski lodge, and Corey kisses a girl named Lauren. That's not Topanga, church. And, and in that moment, like we're all watching, we're like, what is going on? Is this really the end? Is this the end of Corey and Topanga? And if you remember that episode, there's that moment, there's that big blow up where, where Topanga's like, listen, I don't want to tell you to love me. I want you to want to. Remember that one? Oh, man. Guys, how many times you heard that? I want to tell you to do the laundry. I want you to want to. You should know. You should love me enough to do this. Well, listen, church. This in verse 8, this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. I don't want to tell you to give. I want you to want to. 
I want you to be so in love with the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would want to give. That's why he said, I'm testing you. I'm testing you. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the other church is outdoing you a little bit, but I'm going to test you how much you love the Lord. Man, that hurts, doesn't it? So here's a little bit of our heart behind the series. And verse 8 does a good job. The leadership here, the pastors here, like we're not ever going to tell you to give. We're going to unfold a lot over the series. But the Lord is more concerned with a cheerful giver than one that is guilted into it. We can guilt you into giving all day, but that's not going to stick. That's not going to make a change. Paul is saying, I could tell you to give all day, every day. But I want you to be so in love with Jesus that that's just what you do. And so that's, that's some of our heart. Because when we talk about money, uh, oh man, church, or people are like, man, that's all churches do is just talk about money. Uh, they, they just you know, want more money. That's not it. We, we want you to be found faithful to what God has asked you to do. And so we got to talk about money. We got to talk about finances. So I, I'm not going to tell you to give. Our desire for the series is to develop such a love for the gospel that you would want to give. In verse 9, this is how Paul does it. A little bit convicting. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord. Like, you know, you've experienced the gospel. Like, you know what that's like to trust in Jesus and, and, and Him to, to change you, to, to save you. Uh, to make you clean, like you know what that's about. That should compel you. So that's our goal for this series. It's not to tell you to be generous people, but to outline what the Bible says and let the Spirit of God change you. Because that is the change that will stick and really make a difference in your life. That is our goal for this series. But generosity, the generous gospel, changes our heart. It, it should change our hearts. We serve, church, I'm going to need something with this one. We serve a generous God. Do you believe it? Oh, he's so good. He is a generous father. I'm going to put a, a passage on the screen. John 3.16. I was convicted. That I, that I don't think, like in all my preaching, like that I've ever just put John 3.16 on the screen. I, I want to I read it for us this morning. It says, for this is how God loved the world he gave. This is how God demonstrated his love to all humanity. He gave his son, Jesus, that whoever was to put their faith in him would not die, but live forever. Listen to me, church. That is the epitome of generosity. God is saying, listen, I love you so much that I'm going to give my son, not part of him, but all of him. I'm going to give him to you so that you could be saved. Wow. Generosity, I want you to write this down. Generosity is at the very heart of the gospel. We don't have the gospel without God's generosity. It doesn't exist without our Heavenly Father demonstrating generosity to us through His Son, 
Jesus. So listen to me, church. If you have experienced the gospel, what do I mean by that? If you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have fallen under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, made known of your sin, trusted in Jesus, uh, the perfect life, the, the death on the cross, the resurrection, if you've trusted in Him and received His salvation, it changes you. Amen, church? You're never the same. It changes your heart. So when we experience the generous gospel, it should equal a generous person. It should change everything about you, including your generosity. The gospel should, should compel us towards generous living. Remember, I'm not talking about money, but generous living. God, here's my life. Everything I have, everything I do, everything I think, say, everything. Here's my life. It should change you. Veteran pastor of over 30 years at College Church, it's located in Wheaton, Illinois, Pastor Kent Hughes. This is what he says. I want you to, I want you to listen to these words. He says, there is no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. We may know some Scrooges who claim to be Christians. Listen to this part. But I don't think you can claim to really know Christ and be a stingy person. The gospel opens our soul and with it, our hands. Powerful quote, isn't it? Let that one uh, sting a little bit, right? Uh, stung when I read it. The gospel changes everything about us, including our generosity or lack thereof. The gospel changes us. If you've experienced the generosity of God through His Son Jesus, you're a different person. So here's what I want to do. I, I still want to look at, at Paul's letter. We're going to uh, go ahead and turn over to chapter 5. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some information before we read it about what's going on in 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to look at it through the lenses of generosity. What is happening in uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 5, really much of 2 Corinthians, is uh, what Paul is trying to accomplish with the Corinthian people is that when they encounter Jesus, they're never the same. So Paul goes to great lengths to, to talk about a changed life, that, that when we experience salvation, when we experience Jesus, we're different people. And, and so many times, uh, us included, we experience the gospel, but we want to slide back into old ways of thinking, right? So Paul is imploring the church and us, like, man, when, when the gospel gets a hold of you, you're different. Like, when the gospel uh, changes you, it changes you. You're not the same. So in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to look at 14 through 21. And let's read that and see how the gospel changes us. It says, uh, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. 
who died and was raised for them. If you, if you catch that, that, that's the opposite of like being selfish. Like it's, Our life is His. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but, but how differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun, and God's people said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Powerful, powerful section of Scripture. And you can see what Paul is trying to do here. He's making the case that new people are made new. Like uh, the, the gospel changes who we are. And I believe that the gospel changes our generosity. The gospel should change our generosity. When we experience the generous grace of God through Jesus, when we're changed people, boy, it makes a difference. So the first thing that I want you to write down is that the generous gospel motivates us. The generous gospel motivates us. We get this from verse 14. He says, either way, Christ's love controls us. For Paul, this was it. This was it. Like this, this is the moment. Like when Jesus changed me, when I experienced his love, now I'm under its control. Like I'm in love with Christ's love. I want to ask you uh, this question. Are you, are you over it? What do I mean by that? Are you over Christ's love for you? I got, uh, I got convicted. I got embarrassed. A little bit ashamed. See if you can relate at how little, oftentimes, I think about Christ's love for me. Let's pause for a second. Let's think about that for a moment. Do you think about Christ's love for you enough? Or have you gotten over it? Like, does it really control you? Is it on your mind? Is it on your heart? Have you ever thought about that moment? Like, we're all going to die, church. Newsflash! Life's going to come to an end, and you're either going to be in uh, Christ or out of Christ. If you're in Christ, you're going, to, you're, you're going to stand before Him, thankfully, and He's going to welcome you in. If you're out of Christ, that's bad. But like when we're, when we're there, when we encounter Him in that moment, well, uh, church, we're going to see like the, the scars, the, the nail scars on His hands. Like we're, going to, we're going to be in sight of His majesty and His glory. And in that moment, are you there with me? We're going to truly, for the first time, I believe, really recognize how lost we would be without him. Like in that moment, like you're going to be overcome with awe that this is the guy who gave everything so that I could be here. Like, man, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. But, but what if we lived our life with that mentality all the time? Like, like that vision. Like, man, he, he, he loves me. 
Like his love controls me. His love changed me. That's what Paul is saying. Christ's love, it controls everything. What I think, what I say, what I do, how I act, how I give, it controls everything. Does Christ's love control everything for you? Or are you over it? Think about Christ's love for you and see if that doesn't start to change your mindset. Pastor J.D. Greer writes this. He says, if I were to truly grasp the measure of his love, then living for him would be nothing but joy. The greatest sacrifice on earth wouldn't feel like a sacrifice at all. Are you controlled by love, uh, Christ's love? Like, do you, do, you, do you think about his love? That is what motivates us, and dare I say, that's what motivates our generous living. But I want to make something very clear this morning. Are you listening? Tune in. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. He's not a desperate beggar shaking a pan wanting money. My father owns cattle on a thousand hills. Like he needs nothing. It's his anyway, church. Like, wake up. Like, wake up, call. Like, it's all his. He doesn't need anything. So why does... Why does his love, why does it compel us to give? Because we've been changed, like we've experienced Christ's love. So when we step into generous living with our whole life, what we are then doing is declaring that his love for us is invaluable. That that we are grateful and thankful for Christ's love. Like it should change everything about you. The love of Christ should compel every action that you have, including your generosity. Jesus says this about our money. He says, wherever you spend your money, like whatever you do with it, tells me all I need to know about your heart. That's what Jesus says. So if I was to pose the question right now, What does your generosity demonstrate about your love for God? How would you respond? Or are you over it? Christ's love for us should compel us, should motivate us to generous living. It changes everything about us. The generous gospel motivates us. The next thing that I want you to write down is that the generous gospel gives us the standard. The standard of giving, the standard of generosity. We get this from verse 15 where he says, Christ died for all. That that his death on the cross was sufficient. It was for everyone. In verse 21, let's read this again together as a church. It says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's not going to be on the screen, church, but I want you to write these two words down for me this morning. I want you to write down total, and I want you to write down substitutionary. I said that right. Substitutionary. I want you to write those words down. What does that mean? That Christ 
gave everything total. Let's talk about that for a quick moment. Church, I, I need you to understand this. That Christ, listen to me here, Christ did not give a tenth of his blood. He didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all for you and I. Like uh, God said, I'm not just going to give you a little bit of my son, uh, enough to, to make it through this life. I'm going to give you all of my son so that you can make it through this life and the next. Like I'm going to give you my son, Jesus, all of him. And Jesus willingly climbed up on the cross and gave everything that he had for you and I, not just part, church. He gave it all. What's that second word? Substitutionary. What does that mean? When we read verse 21, let's think about this real quickly. What happened on the cross is that Jesus said, I'm going to take your sin. Not a little bit of it. I'm going to take all of your sin, and it's going to be nailed to me on the cross, and I'm going to die for it all. Then I'm going to give you my position of privilege. Talk about generosity. Do we really understand that, church? So that when Christ gave everything and then he took our place, God now can look at you and I in Christ and see his son Jesus. He no longer sees a sinner. He sees us. We get that position of privilege. Thank you, Jesus. He gave it all and then he gave us his position of privilege. Big question. Does the level of our generosity match his standard? If Jesus gave it all, I want, you to, I want you to say it. We should give it all. Does our generosity match the standard of our Savior? Here's how generosity works for much of us. I'm going to give this amount. I'm going to do this amount. I've set this aside for this purpose, and I feel like that is enough. I feel like that is generous, right? That's how we think about generosity. And, and many people have even said this or even heard it. There is a limit to my generosity. On Ornish Church, if there's a limit to your generosity, then it's not actually generosity. Christ gave the standard, and it was all. So how does this begin to change the way we think about our giving? Are we living a generous life that meets the standard that Jesus set? What I love about, what I love about chapter 5 is that in this passage, we, we, didn't, we didn't read all, I want you to read all of it in, in your own time. What, what Paul is really doing here in this moment is he's defending his sanity. They're literally saying, like, man, this dude is crazy, right? He says, I might be. I don't care. He says, I'm crazy about Christ. So listen, like, when's the last time that the love of Christ compels us to live that crazy life? Oh, even bigger question. I want to read it because I want to get it right. When is the last time your generous living made someone question your sanity? When's the last time you lived in such a way that, that man, you, you give everything you have to the church? Like all your time, all your energy, all your effort is directed towards God. All of your finances, all extra that you have, man, it, go, it goes to the Lord. You even sacrifice to make sure you give 
to the Lord to the point where people go, hey, man, uh, you going to be able to pay your bills, right? Like, do, do we live a life that way? Do, do we live in such a way where we meet the standard of Jesus? He, he gave it all. And remember, it's all his anyway. Are you meeting the standard to the point where people think you're a little crazy? The third thing I want you to write down is that the generous gospel defines our mission. The generous gospel defines our mission as a church. Let's read 18 together again. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Church, we cannot look past this part. We cannot skip over it. That this is, are you with me, church? This is our mission. That when the generous gospel gets a hold of your heart, the generous gospel changes you, everything about you, this then becomes your mission as a believer. Like everything that you do is to, to reconcile people back to God. Like that's our mission as a church. I don't care how fancy, how flusy, how creative, how cool a ministry might be. If reconciling people back to God is not at its core, it's failing. Like that's the ministry of the church. Helping people find and follow Jesus. Like that's what we do. We go out there and we, we try to reconcile people back to God. If you know what this passage says, we read it. Paul says, I don't, I don't look at people through a human point of view anymore. What does he mean by that? He, he's saying, listen, uh, we're spiritual beings, and, and I refuse to look at people uh, uh, that way anymore. Like, it, it's not social economic class. It's not where you live, what you own, how you vote, what race you are. Like, none of that matters. For Paul, there's two categories. Lost saved. If your heart has been changed by the gospel, that's then how you view people. And I'll, oh, I want to challenge this big question. Is that how you view people? Is that how you go to work? You view your coworker? Do you look at them through the lenses that Paul is describing here? Do you, do you think to yourself, I wonder if they know Jesus? I wonder if they're saved or if they're lost. I wonder if people that I come into contact with at Starbucks, walking down the street, in a restaurant, my waiter, whatever it is, do they know Jesus? Are they lost or found? That's, that's what Paul is saying. A heart changed by the gospel. This then becomes our task. This is what drives us. This is our mission, reconciling people back to God. But we've got to view people that way if we're going to do that, right, church? You know the, uh, the story about uh, the Titanic? You've probably heard this story, uh, tragedy, right, the ship sank, and, and they've got all the survivors. They bring them back to port, and they set up that board at, at port, and they say, uh, write your name if you've been found, then also write the name of those that you know are lost. And, and on that boat, we know that there were rich, there were poor, uh, there were people that voted different, there were, there were different uh, skin colors on that boat, and the only thing that mattered at the end of the day, lost or found, let me rephrase that, dead or alive. Is that how we view people? This is our mission. God gives us this task. And if you've been changed by the gospel, the generous gospel, you'll never view people the same way again. You see people that way. If 
Here's where it, it gets very practical for us. You with me? If we view people that way, lost, found, it'll change everything about you. There will be no links that we won't go to to reconcile people back to God. Uh, there won't be anything that we'll deny the Lord, including our time, including our finances, including our effort, that, that we can't put on the table so that people can be brought to Jesus. Amen, church? So when our minds, our hearts are changed by the generous gospel, this becomes our mission, and we'll stop at nothing for it, at least I hope. And with that, man, open hands, open wallets, open time. God, I'm yours. Everything that I have is yours anyway, so here you go. Let's get some people to the Lord. It changes you. It changes everything about you. So as we've entered into the series of generosity, I hope you've seen the, the, the heart behind uh, at least sermon number one is that ultimately it's about you and the Lord. That a heart, listen to me, don't fold the Bibles up yet. That a heart changed by the gospel is never the same. It changes everything about you, including your generosity. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been changed by the gospel? Have you trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you received the most gracious, generous gift in all of humanity, Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I urge you to trust in Him today and be changed forever. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives and God, this morning we just praise you for Jesus. Help us to never get over his sacrifice on the cross. I pray that the thought of Jesus dying for us would compel us in everything that we do. That we would be forever changed because of Christ's love. Help us as a church, as we lean in to the thought of being generous people. We're probably going to read some things. We're going to hear some things that hurt a little bit. But God, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit working in the lives of your people, that you would motivate us by the love of Jesus to step into generous living. Thank you, God, for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. We ask everything in this precious and holy name. Amen.